Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On today's very special episode of the show, I'll be joined by writer, editor, musician Brian Slattery to talk about the music documentaries of Les Blank, a pioneering independent filmmaker who made over 40 movies between 1960 and 2015, many of which focused on the diverse traditional musical subcultures of the American South. Uh, We'll focus in particular on two movies about African-American blues musicians in rural Texas, one movie about old-time fiddle music in the mountains of North Carolina, and another movie about parade culture in Blank's beloved New Orleans. And I'm also very excited to say that Brian, who is as adept a musician as many of the people documented in Blank's movies, has brought his... (laughs) Well. (laughs) (laughs) This is still in the introductory portion of the show, Brian, so I can say whatever I'd like about you. Um, But no, it's true. Brian has been a musician for decades of his young life. And, and has uh, been generous enough to bring his fiddle, banjo, and acoustic guitar. Are those the three instruments yeah, that yeah, we have today? Um, and as we talk through some of the various themes and interests and oddball stories uh, in Blank's music documentaries, Brian will be sharing some related and inspired tunes for our enjoyment. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brian Slattery to the show. Brian is a novelist, musician, the arts editor for the New Haven Independent, and the host of the bi-weekly WNHH radio show, Northern Remedy. Brian, what a treat to have you on the show. Oh, man. Yeah, it's fun This to is going to be fun. I, these documentaries are very near and dear to my heart, as they are, I think, for a lot of, a lot of musicians. So I, I want to give a little bit of kind of biographical background on Les Blank before we jump into our conversations about the movies. But I also want to hear about your relationship to these movies before these episodes, because sure. I, I, I know that we've been talking about this episode for a little bit, and I'm curious as to yeah, uh, right. how, how you first came to this. But so for so this is the second episode of Deep Focus that we've had that's focused on the movies of Les Blank. The first was a collaboration I did with Lucy Gellman a few months ago about a movie called Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers, which is a title that is indicative of the the wonderful, long, descriptive, odd um, movies that that Les Blank makes. He's a born in Tampa, Florida in 1935, attended Tulane University in New Orleans, where he studied English and theater and kind of first fell in love with the vivacious musical culture of Louisiana. Uh, Blank started out wanting to be a writer. And I guess after graduating from Tulane, he spent a, about a year or so in some pretty serious despair about how he didn't have the talents or skills necessary to be a writer. And then all of a sudden he saw Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. And as that movie does, he was so wowed by the film's artistry and ambition that he decided to become a filmmaker. So he moves out west cool. to California. I didn't know that. That's in, and, you know, it's considering... Another thing to thank Ingmar Bergman for, right? Considering how that, that movie <laughs> is, uh, y- you know, it's an artistically ambitious movie, but it is one dominated by the literal presence of death. And just think about how <laughs> death right. is such an important theme in Les Blanc's more joyous movies. It's kind of interesting sure. to think of it starting all with The Seventh Seal. So he moves out west, uh, enrolls in a filmmaking course at USC, and after a brief kind of dispiriting stint working on business and industrial films, Blank forms his own independent production company called Flower films and makes two documentaries in 1968 that give a good indication of the types of subjects he would tackle over the next 40 years. One called God Respects Us When We Work But Loves Us When We Dance, about a hippie love-in in in 1967 Los Angeles, and another called The Blues According to Lighten Hopkins, about a legendary 
blues guitarist from the rural hinterlands outside of Houston, Texas. So he's kind of getting into documentary work in the mid to late 1960s, which is at a time when documentary is undergoing some pretty serious changes. It's the kind of emergence of this form of documentary film called Cinema Verite or Truth Cinema, um, pioneered by people like the Maisels Brothers or D. Pennebaker, where because of developments in kind of camera technology, there are these lightweight cameras, 16 millimeter film, filmmakers can really immerse themselves in these communities like Barbara Koppel in Harlan County, USA, where you are kind of unobtrusively unobtrusively observing uh, a kind of cataclysmic moment, but also a representative moment in a community. And you're the kind of taking the kind of Tom Wolf fly on the wall approach to understanding a culture. Um, and occasionally, you know, some filmmakers will participate in it too. It's not just a matter of capturing the objective truth, but also recognizing that kind of all forms of documentary are in some way filtered through the mind of the person holding the camera. Uh, and I think we see both of those impulses in Les Blank movies, both the observational one and the he certainly partakes plenty in his in conversations and also in the food and drink and dance. Um, although Blank made plenty of movies about non-musical subjects, such as his feature-length documentary Burden of Dreams about the quixotic German filmmaker Werner Herzog, uh, his body of work offers a pretty tremendously diverse look into different traditional American musical subcultures. So, Brian, after that that little uh, intro out of the way, can you tell me a bit about how you, what was your relationship to Les Blank movies before this episode? Um, well, for for a lot of musicians, those movies are like, I, they're they're sort of touchstones. Actually, they're you know they're they were when I started playing like various kinds of traditional American music, his name came up as like, have you seen this one? Have you seen this one? And uh, 20 years ago, that was harder to do than it, than it is now. But people would say, like, you know, you should really see this and you should really see that. And, you know, it was, you, you sort of, by the time I got around to seeing them, which was somebody finally, I was living in New York at the time, and somebody just did, like, a whole day of Les Blank movies, <laughs> you know, at their, at a, it, they just did it at a bar. And they just filmed them one after the other. And I went, because I was, mm-hmm. by that time, I had, um, you know, I, I knew that I really just needed to see as many of them as I could. And um, what they kind of have going for them, which is really something, is that, uh, you know, by the time I had gone around to seeing the movies, I knew about the people that he was, that he had documented. You know, they, so what, what hits you and what hit me now upon rewatching them is that, you know, you don't actually get a lot of information about these people from the movies. Um, you know, you, you can finish, you finish the documentary about Lightning Hopkins or Tommy Gerald and you still don't know like how old they are. Or like what they do for a living, <laughs> or you know any of those. Everyone of, seems to be a farmer, right? Yeah, They're, but you don't actually know that, farmers. right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like Tommy Gerald was like a toll booth operator, as I, mm-hmm. as I, if I remember right. And but, but you know, you have no idea of that, you know, when you see him in the documentary. Um, but what you do get is this really strong sense of what it would be like to spend time with them, you know, and like what they, you know, what it would be like to spend an afternoon or dinner, or you know, and what kind of things you might talk about, and you know, for. I think that like that's actually pretty indispensable because you can get that biographical information from just about anywhere. You know, he didn't he didn't pick like super obscure people to to document. You know, and by the time he got around to documenting them, like they were pretty well known in their own right and and had been written about a lot. So like what those documentaries really offer is this is this this brief chance to like hang out with these people. And that's like that's an incredible gift. 
especially now, you know. So the the four movies that we're kind of focusing on for a conversation are The Blues According to Lightning Hopkins, which you just mentioned, A Well-Spent Life, which was a follow-up of sorts to the Lightning Hopkins movie about a different legendary African-American blues guitarist from rural Texas named Mance Lipscomb, Always for Pleasure, uh, a 1978 film about jazz, Cajun music, and parade culture in New Orleans, and Sprout Wings and Fly, a 1983 short documentary about North Carolina fiddle player Tommy Gerald. Uh, could you tell me and the listeners a bit about your relationship, not just to the movies, but to <laughs> sure. the music? I mean, yeah. you've, you mentioned that you have a, a kind of personal connection to Tommy Gerald, kind of one person removed as well, yes. or two people removed. Um, so what's kind of interesting is that the, the town where I grew up, which is Ithaca, New York, and it's this just hippie college town, um, for whatever reason, um, starting in like the, right about the time I was born, actually, um, it became this kind of like epicenter in the north for southern fiddle music. So I actually kind of grew up hearing southern fiddle music, <laughs> like around town. And I was, I had been classically trained as a kid. I remember seeing them and loving the music and having absolutely no idea how to play it. You know, like I would watch their, I would watch their bows and how they were moving. And I would just have no idea how they were creating the sound that I was hearing. Um, and it was just seemed a little too intimidating to even like think about doing. Um, cause the people, the people in Ithaca are really good <laughs> as it turns out. I didn't know this, but like they're, now that I know a little something, it's like they, they're kind of a thing. And, you know, to me, I just thought like, well, this is the way people play traditional music and it all looks very intimidating to me. So, you know, I'll just enjoy it. Um, and then when I, when I, a friend of mine in college said like, you know, he wanted to start getting into it and he said, would you be willing to like learn how to play fiddle? And I said, sure. And I knew what I wanted to sound like, which was the people that I had grown up hearing. And, um, so I went back to them and, uh, my favorite fiddle player, um, in, in Ithaca, whose name is Judy Hyman, and she's, she's a wonderful musician and person, um, was very quick to say, you know, you really need to listen to Tommy Gerald. Um, all of the things that you like about the music are from him. And it's like, I learned, I learned from him how to play fiddle music, and you're going to learn from me, and I'm going to give you what he told me. Hmm. You know, which, at the time he, so Tommy Gerald died in like the mid-80s. Um, so, you know, he, he had, he'd been dead for maybe like 12 years um, by the time I, I got around to to thinking that this would be an interesting thing to do. And, you know, so there really is like one, <laughs> there's one degree removed from me to Tommy Gerald, as there are for a lot of people. I mean, the, what made Tommy Gerald special, uh, other than the fact that he was a really good fiddle player, um, is that he was really welcoming. Like when, when like in, in the movie, you see that thing of like his rules for what happens when people stay at his house. He developed those rules because tons of people stayed at his house. And they would stay for like a long time. And he would basically let them hang out for as long as they wanted. So like there's an entire generation of fiddle players who learned at Tommy Gerald's feet. And, you know, so the, the fact that Judy Hyman learned that way is actually not particularly special. There's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people who learned how to play fiddle from Tommy Gerald. So one of the things that came up over and over again as I was reading about Les Blank were people commending him for his uh, his demeanor in making people making his subjects feel comfortable as he documented them this is yeah you know a filmmaker who worked you know with uh, usually a pretty tight-knit group of filmmakers he often worked with a sound recordist named like maureen gosling and a co-director named skip gerson but he's someone who would take you know months and sometimes even years to make these documentaries and that's yeah. not just a matter of editing but even just collecting the footage and for a lot a lot of his subjects from Lightning Hopkins to Mance Lipscomb to um, Tommy Gerald these are old these are older people and regardless of their temperament i imagine i mean these are pretty close knit societies that he's documenting in so you really yeah. have to make sure that you are not coming off as a kind of an intrusive outsider who is kind of 
ogling in through the fish tank to right. observe something that you find curious. He really had a way about him, I, I guess, of, of making people feel comfortable, of them not feel self-conscious when they had a camera kind of pointed at them. Sure. Supposedly he was a very quiet guy. He was a very big guy. He was able to kind of hold a camera on his shoulder for like hours on end without fatiguing. <laughs> but it's, I think it, it speaks to not just um, Tommy Gerald's uh, kind of amiability, but also the kind of chameleon-like nature that Les Blank had as a filmmaker to kind of put himself in the middle of the action, but also not disrupt it enough to kind of distract from what he's trying to capture. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's you don't see that. I mean, that's what it contributes to that sense of you get a sense of what it's like to hang out with them for an afternoon, right? That like the, all the footage that they have of Tommy Gerald by then he's. I mean, I don't know if he had a shtick you know, like that he would do in front of an audience or, you know, whether he had a sort of personality. Like, I actually think with the Lightning Hopkins documentary, he doesn't quite get past Lightning Hopkins' like shtick about being Lightning Hopkins, right? It's like, he can't quite pierce that. The way that like, for Tommy Gerald, like you really do feel like you're just hanging out with the guy. Like he's telling you stories about his family and you get that like, you know, tours of his house and of his friends. And, you know, you, you don't actually get a sense of that by the time that that movie was made, he was like a superstar. <laughs> you know, and you don't, you don't know that and you from know, the documentary. It's right? almost it's kind. Of, so the Tommy Gerald movie, there are you know, as with every Les Blank movie, there are all these different settings that he films in. They're kind of yeah. interior domestic settings. They're almost inevitably, inevitably, there's someone out in a cemetery or in a field or kind of running <laughs> along a street. <laughs> right. But with Tommy Gerald, there are scenes also of him kind of on stage performing. Yeah. And being recognized by like the NEA or something for, you know, some lifetime achievement. And there's no like award bestowing scene. But I think unlike in many of the other documentaries, maybe the Mance Lipscomb, there's some scenes like this when you see the record player, you know, spinning and then you see that it's his record that's playing and he he talks about how life has become a lot easier now (laughs) that he's kind of been rediscovered. But with Tommy Gerald, you you, you do get hints that he has been, you know, life has become easier for him recently because of how much kind of attention and acclaim he's gotten. But these movies are yeah. never too reliant on even the individuals at the center of it. It's all about the culture around it, right? And right. that's why we don't learn as much about the people because it's it's almost secondary in importance to the environment that helps shape them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and again, like for me, like what I loved about that was that by the time I saw Sprout Wings and Fly, the one about Tommy Gerald, like I, I knew a lot about him. I didn't need the biographical information. And what I loved was just being able to see it, you know, being able to see... Um, just to see, at the time it was even really hard to come across footage of him playing. There's there's a lot now, and it's like all on YouTube. That's <laughs> really something that things have changed. But like, you know, for me, watching him play was really, like I heard recording after recording after recording, and you go like, well, what does it look like? And then there it was, and I just sat there like mesmerized, like watching his right hand move. You and know? You know, I think that's a good segue into the first kind of theme and also song that I wanted to feature. And maybe could you get <laughs> sure. set up for the, the kind of death-related song? Yeah, if there's sure. One? So the way that we talked about structuring the show is to kind of have you play a song that's related to a different prominent theme in, uh, in Les Blank's music documentaries. And for someone who is so interested in the many different ways that life is celebrated in these different musical subcultures he is someone like fascinated by death i mean tommy gerald lightning hopkins mance lipscomb these are all people who are in their you know 70s 80s uh they're kind of on 
death's door, many of them. And right. yet they play yeah. with a vitality and like a vivaciousness that belies that age. Their cap- music yeah. seems to be a, a way to not just, we'll talk about race relations later in the show, but a way to bring people of different generations together. I mean, these people are watching Tommy Gerald at 80 playing the fiddle is I imagine kind of like watching Tommy Gerald at 25 playing the fiddle. Yeah, I know there is that about him, right? That as soon as he starts playing, all those years seem to just kind of like, like melt off of him. And he's, you get a sense of what he was like when he was 20. And there's something aged about the way that that type of old time music is sung by anyone. So that it's like (laughs) the voices, it's all the more appropriate coming from an 80 year old man because these are weary stories, but also... I don't know, joy story. So, so let's let's hear. Um, can you tell us what what you're going to play, and then we'll we'll talk a bit more about uh, death sure. in Les Blank movies. So I was I was actually going to play this this hymn that um, that shows up in Sprout Wings and Fly, and I brought the lyrics with me because there are a lot of them, and then I forgot them at home. So I'll do another <laughs> one that's that's quite similar in vibe <laughs> to that one, just with a different set of lyrics. And this one is actually from um, uh, from Judy Hyman. So it's 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 a thing called rub alcohol blues. Great. Thank you. 
Brian Slattery on the fiddle. What's the name of that tune again? It's called Rub Alcohol Blues. Rub Alcohol Blues yeah. on Deep Focus, uh, New Haven's uh, a radio show about movie and movies in New Haven on uh, WNHH LP, New Haven's home for community radio. Uh, that was wonderful, Brian. Thank, thank and that's you for like, that's that like tune. me using all like the, all those Boeings are Tommy Gerald's Boeings. There's I don't think there's any uh, corruption. <laughs> There, I mean, now, of course, like, I mean, this is something to get into, too, that, like, you know, people add to the tradition, and even, like, from a technical perspective, there's all kinds of stuff that I add hmm. now to old-time music. Um, but that one in particular, there's no need to do that. So the um, the nice thing about watching all of these movies in kind of juxtaposition is that themes, kind of recurring themes pop out at you um, in, in multiple films. So as you're playing that tune... A, a quote that came to mind was actually from the Lightning Hopkins movie and about a totally different genre of music. And yet I find it as appropriate for what you were just playing as, as uh, anything in the Tommy Gerald movie. And that's when, um, when Les Blank asks Lightning Hopkins to define the blues. Uh, and I wrote down a little bit of it here. Hopkins says, the blues is something that's hard to get acquainted with, just like death. The blues dwell with you every day and everywhere. You can have the blues about that you're broke. You can have the blues about that your girl is gone. The blues come so many different ways, it's kind of hard to explain. But whenever you get a sad feeling, you can tell the whole round world you got nothing but the blues. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I feel, I mean, do you feel like there's any kind of continuity? I mean, we haven't even spoken about the, the jazz funerals and the always yeah. for pleasure, but yeah. any, any um, kind of coherent thoughts on death in les blank movies like is why is this something that comes up over and over again in these music documentaries i think that it comes up over and over again because it comes up over and over again in the music like it's it's Mm. it's such a like prevailing theme it's you know it's it's really actually kind of hard to get away from and i think that like one of the you know one of the really easy ways to sum it up is that like you know so many of these so much of this music is just about life (laughs) you know so there's a lot of death in it you know especially for you know especially for like people who are like people who have the kind of lives that they have, like it's they they know a lot of people and a lot of people die and a lot of people die like early, too. You know, so it's not a, it's not like a, um, it, it's just a, it's just a part of life, I think. And it, and it's I think the big the big question and the thing that's kind of interesting about it is to think about like how the attitude toward death might change from sort of like genre to genre and even region to region. You know, there's a, there's there are differences, but but it's it's just an overarching and inescapable theme. I mean, as it sort of should be. I know. Right? One one reason. Like, I don't think the music is depressing. No, you I know, think quite quite the contrary. And I don't right. think any of the movies are depressing either, despite right. their. And I think that that's death. a really important point. That it's yeah. not like it's not like there's some there's some kind of music that fixates on death that where it seems very depressing. And like the, one of the things that I love so much about this music is that it sort of stares very like strongly straight into the problem and doesn't and doesn't flinch you know so one reason that blank gave for why he was kind of constantly drawn to these musical subcultures that dealt so frankly with death was that he found it refreshing he found coming from a kind of upper class white yeah. waspy household that had such an unhealthy relationship with death where death was never spoken about he he found fascinating that you know to go to watch a jazz funeral march through the streets for of sure. new orleans to have such celebration i mean there's 
at, at one point, Blank is interviewing Alan Toussaint in in the uh, Always for Pleasure movie, and right. he explains the kind of origin of the second line bands, I think. And he says, right. the way that we do this is that you kind of march mournfully up to the funeral, and then you cut it up on the way back, because yeah. it's, it's as much about celebrating those still alive as it is about kind of regretting their loss. And these movies yeah. are about the, I mean, as we'll get, as we talk about kind of food and the eccentric individuals, these are about the kind of ephemeral nature of life. And that inevitably means that there is death at the end. Um, yeah. I, and like, that's not a put on either. Like the, like the first, the first sort of like um, the first person to, to die, like of a, you know, a musician that I knew whose, whose funeral I attended was, was actually like that. You know, it was, it wasn't like a New Orleans style thing, but it definitely had that sort of structure where like the service itself was really a celebration of his life much more than anything. Like people got up and just talked about, you know, how much they loved playing with him and the groups that he played with got up and they played and like the music was not depressing. And then afterward, we just had this giant party that went until like four in the morning mm-hmm. and it was, it was great. And it was very much a celebration of him rather than sort of, I mean, everybody missed him obviously, but like, the point was celebration, for sure. You know, as interested as Blank is in death, he really has little to say or little to document about suffering. I mean, these are people <laughs> yeah. and cultures that, I, I know that this is something that he's addressed as well, that, you know, to document these kind of peasant subcultures in the United States, that it's a little spurious to say that it was always kind of happy and dancing and singing all the time. Right. Like and I think there's there are plenty of stories that come through in his movies, I mean, where these, you know, people talk about the, the hardships of their lives, and yet yeah. there's a, a joyousness to the filmmaking. There's a, um, there's a, a, I mean, these movies, again, incorporating they're taking so much, you know, months and months of footage and condensing it into a 30-minute documentary. So they're kind of, you know, they wander all over the neighborhoods that they're documenting. And yeah. so sometimes you'll find the camera pointed up at like an, uh, a hawk flying in the air, or sometimes <laughs> right. you'll see Tommy like right. scooping up a glass of water from underneath, you know, the middle of this creek in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Uh, they, they really, they can seem kind of scattered at first look, but they're really, they're like voracious in how much they want to capture about yeah, uh, for any sure. given culture. Yeah, like I don't, I don't see his I don't see his documentaries as romanticizing anything. Mm. I just don't. Like I I mean I I mean, look like you know your mileage can vary on stuff like that. But I I don't see him engaging in it. I, I see some of the musicians engaging in that. But that's that's a different story. Like I don't I don't see him like putting a veneer on anything. Like I think he just I, I think it's like you said you can just tell he had hours and hours of footage and he put together sort of the most compelling thing he could out of it. So I'm curious to hear uh, which or if any musicians or performances jump out uh, to you as um, romanticizing or embellishing a bit too much. Because one of the um, the more virtuosic performances uh, in any of these movies is in the Lightning Hopkins movie, where right. he is he he's just actually it's the scene after he defines what the blues is and talks about how difficult yes. it is to vocalize it. And then we see this harmonica player Billy Bizer, right. I think is how you pronounce his name, and Lightning Hopkins playing just on a couch in his living room, right. and Bizer <laughs> is. He's going for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This he is might someone... as well be like on the stage of the Apollo or something. The way that he's performing, uh, the way that which he... is a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, for sure. Right, like the idea that that he could like get into that frame of mind, like in Lightning Hopkins' living room, 
is is pretty awesome. And I'm, you know, <laughs> the kind of the genius of Blake's, to perform <laughs> of, of his perspective on on making music documentaries is that he almost never focuses the camera on fingers or hands. I mean, we almost never see which is the a little frustrating. Which to can, be honest, I can, well, I imagine it's quite frustrating for musicians. I also imagine, I mean, there's the music is playing constantly underneath these images, and I right. think he's probably pulling, or at least his sound recorders is pulling, you know, audio from different times and places. Yeah, although you know the these are music that often have lyrics, so to sync up the lips, lips right. probably you know requires that the song being played is relevant to what the performance is. Yeah. But but Blank knows how to focus the camera on the face. I mean, on Beiser's face in yeah, particular when he's sure. performing. And you know, he implies, I think, that the music is always an extension of the individual. It's not about yeah, just kind of talent and craft. It's about these people are you know they're sharing themselves. The music is almost incidental. It's like one more way to yes. do, to tell you something about these people, and I find right. that just beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's such an important like as as a musician. That's that's the biggest thing you sort of like are learning over and over and over again, which is like you know the idea of like you know music isn't just a technical exercise. It's you putting yourself out into the world, and like the the older I get, the more you know, the more conscientious I try to be about like well, what am I trying to say? You know, like what's the you know, like? I I love playing this music, and that's for me. But like, if I play for for somebody else, even if it's just one other person, like there's something I'm trying to tell them. Like otherwise, I could just go up in my bedroom and play by myself, right? <laughs> and I think that this is. I mean, I I'm curious to hear how you compare these movies to the work of Alan Lomax, who was kind of engaged in a somewhat yeah. similar, maybe parallel project of right. archiving these traditional musical subcultures, sure. usually in the South. Um, in that I, I read a quote in which Lomax was arguing with Blank about the best way to make a movie about yeah. a, uh, you know, a Mississippi blues guitar. So Lomax was. is his, yeah, and <laughs> I think it got a little contentious. And I think Lomax said that, you know, his ideal movie was the, you know, the camera person just plops the camera on the tripod, right. turns it on and then walks away. Right. Whereas Blank is all about, you know, zooms, close-ups, pans. Yes. Like he's, there's a subjectivity to Blank's camera work that I imagine someone like Lomax and an ethnographer would find a little, uh, too subjective. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it, that. No, that's true. I mean, I don't think I don't think Les Blank is trying to make a. He's making a documentary, but I don't think he's making a document. And like, I think that that's a pretty crucial distinction there, right? Like, and again, there's plenty of. I mean, there's plenty of footage of all of these people playing where the person is just documenting them. You know, like there's it's it's really reasonable to like. I don't know how much how much of that existed when Les Blank was making his movies, which is a whole other thing. But now, like looking looking back at it, you go like, look, if I want to find a, a video of Tommy Gerald where he just where they plop the camera down in front of him and he played, there's there's videos of him where they attached a light sensor to his right hand so you could see the patterns in his bowing. Right? I mean, all of these things are great, but none of those give you what Sparrow Rings and Fly gets you, which is like a sense of the man himself. And yeah. why is that approach sometimes frustrating for a musician like yourself to watch? Do you sometimes want to see that? I always want to display? see it. Yeah, always. But but I also appreciate that like Les Blank is not necessarily making this movie for a bunch of musicians, right? Like he's he's trying to he's trying to impart, you know, to, to people who don't know very much about the music, like why it might be interesting. And I don't think he had much of a musical background and he's coming from Berkeley, California to, you know, rural Texas and yeah. and you know, going back to the beginning of our show, how do you make yourself kind of comfortable and make yourself kind of unobtrusive? Uh he I don't know. I I feel like maybe trying to document a bit too objectively exactly how someone was achieving a certain musical technique right. would would 
almost be distracting. It's kind of counterintuitive because yes. the Les Blank style of documentary filmmaking is, is requires maybe more movement on his part, but he's never. Yeah. It's never kind of analytical and kind of dissecting what is happening. It's still just observational. Well, I mean, to to me, I think that Les Blank is looking at these people the way that a um, performer. I mean, not the performer. The way that an audience mm-hmm. member looks yeah. at them. The way that like like regular people take in music like for me it's kind of instructive right that like the idea that he's always focused on the face is like that's probably how like i mean i don't know because i do what i do but like my guess is that most people that's exactly what they're doing they're just looking at the person's face because that's how we connect with performers right that's that's the extension of music as extension of person as opposed to music as curiosity and and, you know to to be fair like when i'm playing with other people i don't look at their hands i look at their faces (laughs) you know and that's how that's how musicians communicate with each other as well and it's only when I'm sitting there going like, gee, I'd really like to know how he played that, that I get frustrated by it. Can we gear up for another song? Yeah, Maybe. sure. Um, so I'm thinking of uh, maybe moving over to the food theme, but I don't know if there's oh, a particular... Well, okay. actually, if, if there's another, because okay. we only have 10 more minutes, so we're going to have to condense okay. a little bit anyway. But um, let's... So another um, theme that kind of comes up over and over in Les Blank movies, and again, going back to the show that... Uh, Lucy and I did a couple months ago is food and food is an integral part of Blank's understanding of these cultures music is um, not something that exists in a vacuum alongside other cultural practices Uh, food is one more way that these people express themselves and celebrate life and uh, distinguish themselves from from other people in this country so let's uh, what what song do you have to play for us okay so the closest I could get to a good food song is because it mentions like lots of different kinds of food which is nice but it's this like it's this hokum blues thing now now theoretically a bunch of hokum songs wouldn't fly with the fcc but this one does and it has this kind of like in in some ways it's like totally random and on the other hand it's one of these like super delightful sets of lyrics that like sort of like i mean to me it adds up to like this great sort of like worldview (laughs) even though it's it's like a kind of a silly little song so it's called the duck yes 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 uh Mama bought a rooster She thought it was a duck She brought it to the table With its legs straight up In came the children with a cup and a glass To catch the liquor from the yes, yes, yes Babe, oh, babe, oh, have you ever been to Spain With those old hoodoo women Shaking that thing they got Rings on their fingers, bells on their toes What they got, baby, nobody knows me and my gal were walking down the street when she caught the rheumatism in her feet. She stooped over to pick up some glass and the same thing struck her in the yes, yes, yes. You catch the train, you call the 49 and it takes you right down to Caroline. You catch the train, you call the Golden Gate 
You shake your shoulders and you shake them fast You can't shake your shoulders, shake your yes, yes, yes Drink some rooster soup before you go to bed And you wake up in the morning, find your own self dead I'm gonna sing this verse, ain't gonna sing no more Somebody's knocking on my door The people upstairs have all gone to bed I better stop that noise before they crack my head totally worth dealing with my guitar playing just for the set of lyrics honestly oh i love it thank you brian uh, another to another les blank related tune on this episode of deep focus on wnhh lp new haven's home for community radio uh where where did that song come from or can you give us any yeah yeah sure so i mean so that i got that song from a, a recording i think it's from the 20 uh, i want to say 26 of this guy named tamper red who is a you know a blues musician from uh, chicago but the the song had gotten around by then. Like he was like the, he was the probably like fourth person to have recorded it. So it's it's unclear where it comes from. Like even like the even the little details in the song don't make it entirely clear. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, we're going to Carolina. Oh no, we're in California. You know, like, who knows where we are? You know, it's and it's probably one of those songs that got cobbled together from other songs. Yeah. Right. But it, they just collected like the best verses. But I love, I mean, all of those details to me are just like delicious. Like, like if you picture everything happening in one neighborhood, like that is one <laughs> incredible neighborhood, right? Which is why I love the song so much and why it's so easy to remember. Like I, when I, when I go from verse to verse, like I picture the person like walking around, you know? I love it. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, that to transition a bit into the way food is represented in these movies, I think that, you know, we never see people looking at recipes as they're putting something together. This is, yeah. I mean, yeah, the no. food is almost <laughs> as, like, baked, you know, baked into their bones as the music is. And it's, we rarely see anyone, I don't think ever see anyone looking at sheet music, too. I mean, I, right. and I think that gets at why, you know, why Les Blank returns over and over to food is that it's something that for sure he thinks yeah. just kind of emerges organically from a culture that you have to document with as much like serious or with as much totally. attention and joy as as the music and i like i love that in sprout wings and fly he makes that pretty like severe connection between like the music and making whiskey right i mean which is really important and it's like he's not making that up either like there's so many so many fiddle tunes the like it's fiddle tunes have these like little snippets of lyrics in them a lot tons of the lyrics are about making booze like tons of them <laughs> it's it's not a yeah, it's not, that's not something that he has imposed on the on the culture. It's something that shows up all over the place. And at one point, a uh, someone who makes a fleeting appearance in Sprout Wings and Fly is asked, what came first, the liquor or the music? And he pauses for a second and he says, well, Probably I guess the liquor. The liquor. <laughs> Probably the liquor. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's not, that's not alone to... Um, to sprout wings and fly. I mean, this mixing yeah, of, of food sure. and drink and revelry and and kind of turning to food as maybe a maybe a bit of an escape from the hardship of one's day to day life uh, is as present in Mans Lipscomb's uh, you sure. know rural Texas as it but is it, in the Rocky Mountains. It's of also getting at like, North a, Carolina. It's also getting at a super real thing that musicians love food. I mean, I know this sounds totally stupid, but like 
It, it is literally the first thing that a lot of people think of right after they play. They just go, man, I'm hungry. Definitely. And I mean, you are exerting yourself you do, you quite know? a bit, right? It's, it's like an athlete needing yeah. to eat right and afterwards. And my son has pointed out that like, when musicians <laughs> get together, they basically just sit around and talk about what they're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it makes it into the lyrics of the songs, too. <laughs> uh, um, the, I think that you know, food. I'm, I'm ir- interested to hear if you had a favorite food scene in any of the movies that we watched. But uh, oh, one, one of my favorites is kind of demonstrative of how of Les Blanks kind of wry sense of humor. Well, I have my favorite one for sure. And that that's yeah. when he asks, the food is kind of tangential to this, but he um, he just, you know, Mance Lipscomb in, in A Well-Spent Life is talking about how, you know, he's been with his woman for 50, 60 years and you really have to like <laughs> and love someone. And it's like, this is, you know, this <laughs> is the, he, he knows so many people, <laughs> he, you know, so many people have divorced, you know, at age 18. And right. then we cut to the kitchen and they've been eating separately for 50 years. Right. And the reason why is because once Mance Lipscomb didn't come home on Right. time for dinner like, and the woman thought i'm not letting that yeah. happen to me again. Like, dinner's over dinner hour is over kitchen's closed <laughs> but are you are you gonna say the the crawfish eating scene and always for pleasure yes because my favorite part of it is the thing when the guy is boiling all the crawfish and like when he talks about we well, gotta put some hot sauce in here and he puts like a gallon how about the pounds you know? of cayenne yeah. pepper that he just picks up by the shovel and throws to it me it was the jug of hot sauce yeah. where it's like you're expecting him at any point to stop adding it and yeah. he just doesn't like it's it's the whole gallon goes in there so at know? one point do, i mean the same is kind of true of these oddball musicians at what point do you think les blank is laughing at these people with these people never you know, I neither i honestly this don't. Is kind of a goofy guy who's throwing but then again that's how the food is i, I mean it's not like exaggerated but so he does it, look a little silly well yeah <laughs> yeah i mean for sure but I, I i mean having seen documentaries like that are similar to his movies where you do get this like one thing that les blank avoids a lot is like i think that I think that like a lot of music documentaries, you like the personalities are often really interesting. And a lot of documentaries, I think, make the mistake suddenly of like making it all about that personality rather than about the sort of like really cool thing that the person does that is the reason that you made the documentary in the first place. And like, I don't think Les Blank ever loses sight of that. Like, you never forget that any of these people are musicians or cooks or, you know, whatever it is that like he, he never he never forgets why he's there. And having seen a few documentaries where you see it tip over the other way, like you appreciate how much Les Blank doesn't do that. So you, know? you were, it's, uh, it's, you, and that, that's really important because I because I'm sure. I mean, like one thing is that if if he had to interview Tommy Jail forever, there was probably honestly a fair amount of like casual racism going on that he left out, and like. And it's, we see a Confederate flag kind of peek yeah, in in one of yeah, those scenes, and it's yeah. it's and this is an exclusively he, white community he as well. Could totally have made that mm-hmm. documentary. Right. And and there would there would be evidence, no mm-hmm. doubt. And like, I like I mean, I obviously it's important to deal with racism, but that's not why he was there. Like he was there to make a documentary about a musician mm-hmm. and he wanted to get at like what is making the music tick. And that's that's a different question than like is, you know, rural North Carolina. How racist is it? Yeah, no, this is it's an it's one that I grappled with as well. At one at what point is he kind of whitewashing these communities? And uh, what other is he trying to find? You know, he's 
really is trying to find what makes America great to take like that horrible slogan that has been yeah, used by the Trump sure. campaign. But, you know, he's interested because he does talk quite directly about race and always for pleasure, both yeah. in the way that parades are mm-hmm. means of integration. Parades are ways for people to swap racial identities and gender identities on right. any given day. But also he points out that those parades are like basically totally segregated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but but then he also, then, I mean, know, he spends about half the now. movie following around a marching club that focuses on the kind of cultural relationship and affinity between right. Native Americans and black people. Right. Uh, and that it's, again, it seems like a kind of an odd thing to spend half an hour on in this hour long right. music documentary, but he's really underscoring that this is like an important part of racial identity in, for the yeah. black community in New Orleans, some kind of affinity with Native American culture. Right. And actually like without, without suddenly getting on my thing about like why music is so awesome. But like if he were to have made that documentary about like let's talk about race in the context of the music, like Tommy Gerald would have told him things like, I'm super inspired by the blues. I've been super inspired by, you know, all of the black musicians that I've seen. Like like that you could argue that like you know like the all of these musical traditions are evolving and Blank is capturing them at like a moment in their evolution. Like they're not these things that are preserved in amber. And like one of the things that Tommy Gerald did was to like inject more blues into mm-hmm. like the music that he'd been taught you know by his uncle like he learned all this stuff from his uncle and then was like but i like the blues so i'm going to play it this way mm-hmm. and you know the, even like the history of fiddle music in the united states is the history of like of instruments and melodies and rhythms like crossing cultures like a couple times you know in the course of their history so like there's some real exchange going on there and just you know to some extent like that points out like what is so good about the united states and it's the re- it's the reason that everybody in the world loves the music from the united states you know <laughs> you know that i think that's the perfect transition to the last song and last instrument that you brought because what instrument better embodies totally. the kind of oh racial and like musical heterogeneity of america than the banjo totally um we this is going to be our, our last thing because unfortunately we're almost out of time but i want to make sure to to hear one more song from brian so what, sure. what is it that you're going to play for us on your banjo um so we'll go back to like the the, the one of the guys that tommy gerald talks about in his documentary is named fred cockerham who is who is sort of tommy gerald's partner in crime and he had died by the time sprout wings and fly was made. Mm-hmm. um but there's recordings of the two of them playing together and they you know they played really well together <laughs> They'd grown up together. So this is a song that Fred Cockrum quote-unquote wrote. And the reason it's quote-unquote is because it's, pr- it's, it's pretty clear that he just kind of pieced it together from a bunch of stuff that he kind of had floating around in his head. But he's the source, so that's that. Great. Um, and we, well, I'll, we'll, we'll say our, our conclusion stuff a- after the song, but Brian Slattery with uh, another song for our Les Blank episode. I will wait till 
WNHH LP. Brian, that is all the time we have on this show. What an unbelievable awesome. treat to have you on oh, playing this fun. music. Um, I want to ask you one last question. Sure. Um, I think we both really enjoyed watching these movies. If you were to tell someone to start on any you know, p- person who hadn't watched any Les Blank movies before, oh my God. which one, um, um, either between the ones that we picked or if you've seen another one, where would you, uh, where would you point the first? The one that I would actually start with is one that we didn't talk about but it's the it's the one that says i went to the i went to the dance it's the one about cajun music that one is really really awesome and it's also because it's about like a whole bunch of people instead of just you know one or two people so right. it gives you like a really great like overview of what what that whole scene is about great well seek these movies out people they're and so the much food, fun for god's sake the food yeah. right i mean you you really i mean it's a wonderful way to learn about these cultures but also yeah. you will be hungry and in need of music after watching That's these. Right. so um brian thank you again for coming on the show check out northern remedy everyone and last friday of every month mercy choir at never ending books anything else you want to plug quickly uh, before? No, you, no, you, right. you can find just google <laughs> brian's name you'll find plenty you can find a complete archive of deep focus episodes at deepfocusradio.com and we will catch up with you next week for another conversation about movies and new haven